0: I didn't know what kind of a movie we're about to see there with them coming out of the sunflowers like that I didn't know it's good well welcome to Church of Hope once again if you're visiting with us a special welcome I am Pastor Mike lead pastor of Church of Hope and yes We're working Ruth pretty hard. That's what happens when you live at the pastor's house. So she's back there doing projection this morning. That was another part of the deal. So, amen. Ruth is my niece, for those of you guys who don't know, so I'm allowed to pick on her. So, we are going to do part two of the message that we went with last week and uh, did not finish. Um, So, just to highlight from Acts chapter 22 we the the title of the message is choosing of God the choosing of God and we looked last week at the sovereignty of God God's sovereignty and uh, how God used Paul orchestrated everything out according to his purposes and, uh, and as Paul tells a story of everything that happened within his life and that continued to happen here number two we're gonna look at here today is the trial the trials Paul is put on trials here now he's going to prison and he isn't coming out of prison for basically the remainder of his life this is where it starts for him you'll notice though that the message and ministry of Paul never really changes even as he is it takes on a different look he's in different surroundings he's in new places but the ministry and the message never changes and this is how it should be for you and I here as well when we go to community groups here today one of the things that we're going to look at is Paul's attitude towards death and towards life I think that makes all the difference in the world as it relates to how we approach the ministry and the calling that God has placed on us what is our attitude towards life here on this earth and then what is our attitude towards death and what does death mean for the believer in Christ what does death mean for the unbeliever in Christ all things that are good to contemplate and think about but I think that was the key for Paul's ministry and message never changing even though his surroundings changed and even though there were times where he would even say himself I know what it is to serve God when I'm bound and changed. I know what it is to serve God when I'm free. There was definitely consistency there. Now, as we look here um, in Acts chapter 22 in verse, uh, chapter 22 and verse... 22 and they listened to him until this word what was the word that he gave well the word that he was giving was that he was innocent before them and that god had called them, him now to go preach to, to 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 leave the jews because in jerusalem there was danger there at that time and now he's being called out of that so he can go minister to the gentiles we talk about the sovereignty of god in that that god was leading him to do this because god had said you're going to speak to all men You're going to speak to all men, and this is how I'm going to have it happen. And so once they heard that, they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a, a harsh statement, isn't it? Really, when you stop and think about that, but I... I would submit to you here this morning that we are living in a day and age that is not very different than that. In all the midst of the let's coexist, let's you know major toleration, just everybody tolerate each other. It's very interesting that this same group of people that is pushing this can't we just get along? Can't we just coexist? Shouldn't we all just be tolerant of one another? Are actually some of the most intolerable uh, people that are the most intolerant on the people on the planet. Right? Because they're 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 tolerant of everything until you start telling them truth that they don't want to hear, and then the mindset becomes and this may sound extreme, but I'm telling you it's happening all around us. The mindset becomes these people are not fit to live. Away notice what they're calling for here? Away with such a person from the earth. They're not fit to live. And I submit to you here today. This is, as we continue to draw closer and closer to the end, and I've told you guys many times, I'm not picking dates of when Jesus Christ is going to come back again. Um, But I think we can safely say we're moving closer and closer. Wouldn't you agree with that? And Jesus said something in Matthew 24. Before he comes back again, he says, you're going to be hated. He's talking to believers. You're going to be hated by all nations for my name's sake. All nations. That's, that's, that's all-encompassing, isn't it? All nations, for my name's sake. So don't be surprised when you begin to see this idea and this, uh, this kind of ideology or even these kinds of attempts that begin to be put out there because they're not going along with our, with our system and our way of thinking and our way of doing things well, certainly then, they're not fit to live. They're just going to get into the, in the way of the direction that we're trying to go. These are rebels. They're trying to keep us from doing what we want to do. And so, I'm just saying that to say it's already happening. Uh, oftentimes when we're down at the abortion clinic, it, it, isn't, it isn't odd to hear Things like, why don't you just put a bullet in your head if, you're going, if this is what you're going to do. If this is, the, if this is going to be your viewpoint. I uh, we literally was told that one time. Um, th- these things, This is the mindset. It's not so far off. In fact, I was a part of, uh, on Friday morning, I was a part of the Axe Cohort. That's the, the, the church planting organization that Church of Hope is a part of. And we were having a meeting. And uh, the director of that, Tim Mackey, was telling us and, and uh, br- making us aware of a lot of the different persecutions that are taking place in different parts of the world right now in relation to Christians. People within the missionary church that he also works for as well, missionaries that they had were martyred this, this past week in, in, in some of the Middle Eastern countries. Um, these are realities these things are happening and um, and I feel like God has been preparing us uh, as we've been talking about these things as we've been looking at these things I feel like the Lord has continued to want to um, raise our awareness that we would continue to stand for truth And as we do that, don't be surprised that the enemy gets upset over that. Does that make sense? He kind of gets worked up. But remember, all the while, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, right? But it's principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Therefore, you and I need to be putting on the whole armor of God, amen? The whole armor of God. And how does, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, how does he sum all of that up? Praying always everything needs to be bathed in prayer right now folks we can't get away from prayer everything needs to be bathed in prayer because this battle that we are in is a real battle and it is it is it is, it is against a real enemy and God hasn't changed his mission for his church he still intends for us to be salt and light wherever we're at but don't be surprised when this be, continues to grow this mindset You're not fit to live anymore if you can't go along with a program. It's real. It's what Paul was dealing with, and I think we're continuing to see more and more of this mindset continuing to spread out all around. One of the things that happens here in this passage is that Paul uses his Roman citizenship again. We talked about this back when we were in the going through Acts before. He used it for the sake of the gospel, right? He kept them on their toes as he continues to say, as he alluded to this fact that I'm a Roman citizen. And one of the things that it caused them to do was take a step back because it was against the law for you to do anything or to touch or to bind anyone that was a Roman citizen that hadn't had due process or due trial. And it kind of caused everybody to take a step back. But I also see in this, I hope I'm not reading too much in between the lines here on this but I also see a care for those that were even doing that to Paul knowing that they could have gotten not only lost their position had Paul really made a fuss over this not only was their position in jeopardy but their very lives this was a serious offense that you didn't want to do is it possible I'm simply presenting the question here today you see such a love in Paul's heart like we were looking at last week. He cared for these people that he was ministering to. He cared for these people that he was speaking the truth to. Could it also have been, yes, for the sake of the gospel, but also for the well-being of the, of the soldiers and the commanders that were enforcing these things? And saying, hey, you could lose your job for this. Paul cared. That's where we ended last week. All that God would give us. A love for the lost, a love for those who are in darkness, a love for those who are still dead in their sins. That when we come across, we would come across with that kind of care. As we speak the truth, that it would be done with that kind of an attitude, not a holier than thou condescending. God's going to get you for that attitude. Right? There's a difference. And, uh, and we, I highlighted this a little bit last week as well. But we, we see these examples in Scripture where this, this is not inconsistent with what Jesus did as He was hanging on the cross, after He had been beaten and whipped by all these people and then hung on this tree. He cries out to His Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And we, and we talked about Stephen as well as he... Was being stoned, and he looks up and sees the heavens are open to him, and he sees the glory of God, and he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. And he asks the Father in prayer that they not be charged with this incredible, terrible act that they were doing. Paul loved his fellow Jews. Paul loved. The Romans that he was called to preach the gospel with. Paul loved all those that he was called to minister to. Something that is a necessity. If we're going to be effective in the work that Christ has called us to, we need to ask him to give us his heart for these people and to respond and care and in love recognizing these people as image bearers of God as well that have value that have meaning that have purpose and 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 there's this desire deep within your heart that they would come to a knowledge of the truth we're going to see this before we're all done here paul pops a can of the can the the top of the can open on this whole thing and lets it all spill out and really tells people that this is really what I'm after would be that everybody here would believe. but we'll get to that here. I want to work somewhat quickly here through these chapters, just highlighting some of the things to see Paul's journey and this trial that Paul is going through as he's on trial, he definitely had this genuine love. Now they send Paul to the chief priests and to all of their counsel. This was known as the Sanhedrin and Paul's first thing to them is that he has a clean conscience to which the high priest himself responds basically I'm paraphrasing here smack him on the mouth right And so how does Paul respond to that Paul responds with this God will strike you basically you fake you fake why was Paul calling him out for this what Paul is saying here is true. Ananias, the one who's referenced here, the high priest, was a fake. know, it was against the Jewish law to strike an Israelite. Ananias was supposed to represent the law, but here he was breaking it as he's seeking to be one who's supposed to be upholding it. That's called hypocrisy. And that's what was happening. And it's interesting, if you do research, as I did on this here a little bit, Over the past couple of weeks, Paul's statement actually turned out to be prophetic. History tells us that in 66 AD, four years before the destruction of Jerusalem, a group of insurrectionists rose in war against Rome and wanted to get Ananias. They found him hiding, drug him out, and murdered him along with his brother. How did, they, how did the people respond when Paul responded the way that he did? Probably somewhat heated, in the heat of the moment. Spewed back at the one who had called him to be smacked. So they shout back at Paul Are you reviling God's high priest? Remember what Scripture says about Jesus that when he was reviled he never reviled in return looked up the word revile revile means criticism in an abusive or angrily insulting manner in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 19 through 23 you can jot that down in your notes is a great passage that covers this talking about Jesus though he was reviled he never reviled in return now Paul had not done, I would submit to you here today, that Paul had not done the right thing. How do we know that? He openly admits it. Granted, he didn't know that he was dealing with the high priest. And he actually uses scripture to call himself out on it. They bring an accusation against him, and he actually says, I didn't know that he was the high priest. And then he actually gives them scripture that would say why, what he did was wrong. There's so much that we can learn from here. Because what happens when somebody comes to us with something, regardless of their attitude that they may be coming to us with something? What tends to be our default? We get defensive, don't we? Don't we get defensive? And what usually ends up happening is we tell them things that they've done wrong, don't we? Well, maybe maybe you guys aren't like me, but I do that. <laughs> But Paul's response here is beautiful. He humbles himself and actually takes him to the scripture that would that would shine the light on the reality of him doing something wrong. He says, "Yes," in Exodus chapter twenty-two, verse twenty-eight: "You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people." Now, again, Paul wasn't aware that this was a ruler. He had called the high priest out for not following the law and had done the same thing in that moment. And he owns it. That's good. Can we we let that in? That's good. That's, That's walking in humility. And there is fruit that can come from us owning things that we've done wrong and being open about them and asking even for forgiveness for those things. What a gracious, humble, and submitted way for Paul to respond. Next, this is very interesting here. And this is, I believe this is one of the reasons why Jesus himself had said, when they take you in front of the rulers, in front of the council, in front of the courts, don't prepare what you're going to say. Because the Holy Spirit will tell you in that moment what you need. Because this had to have been of the Holy Spirit here. What He does next. Had to have been. Here He is sitting before the Sanhedrin. He's got Pharisees here and He's got Sadducees here. You know what He does? I should say, you know what the Holy Spirit has Him do? He gets theological on Him, Which stirs up a debate because it was something that the Jew, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees were at odds over. And all of a sudden it starts this debate. And all of a sudden the Pharisees are like, Yeah, Paul, we, we actually don't know what he's done wrong. Why? Because Paul actually goes and says, I was, I, was, I was a Pharisee. And he highlights the resurrection. Well, if you know anything about the Sadducees, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in a spirit. They believe that when you die, that's it, you're done. So all of a sudden, it turns the whole trial in the sense before the... Sanhedrin and the the Pharisees are saying almost taking ownership over Paul saying he's our guy and the Sadducees are like no, 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 no we hate him all the more and out of fear for Paul's own safety not knowing what was going to happen in this moment the commander actually removes Paul from the situation. I think this is fascinating. I love it way to throw in a theological debate just to let a bomb go off and Paul gets taken out of there. I think that's clever. And I think that's something only the Holy Spirit could do. But you see that happening here. He speaks to the resurrection and the reality of it. Next, the Lord manifests the promise of never leaving and never forsaking His children. Look at Acts chapter 23, verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him. And said, be of good cheer, Paul. I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard of people who were in prison for the sake of Christ in terrible places and being persecuted. And yet their testimony of Christ's nearness during those seasons, unlike any other time in their life, just continue to prove true. God is near to those who are suffering for Him. And he wants to encourage them. And he wants to remind them, you're not alone. I gave you a promise. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem. Now he gives him a little bit of insight into where this is going. As you have testified for me here in Jerusalem, so must you also bear witness at Rome. Oh, this, is a, this is a critical thing that God is going to see happens because a little bit later on Paul is going to appeal to Caesar because they're about to send him back to Jerusalem and Paul appeals to Caesar and actually they come to the conclusion that Paul probably would have gotten let go had he not appealed to Caesar but you know why <laughs> he had to go to Rome because he was going to testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Rome he had to it was part of God's plan and part of God's purpose for his life and that's what Paul was bent on. That was what Paul was dedicated to. A death threat arises and God supernaturally gets him out of there by means of Paul's own nephew hearing about the plot to kill Paul. He is then instructed to go to the commander and tell them the plot And it's amazing. I don't have time to dive into it right now, but but read those verses 23 through 25 if you want to look at the security detail that was given to Paul. And his life is spared. And uh, the ambush was not successful. The commander is going to send him to Felix, the governor in Caesarea. And so he sends him a letter with the soldiers that are escorting Paul, which is verses 26 through 30 there. I'll let you look at that later. Felix receives him, confirms that he is in felix's jurisdiction as governor and the first at the first hearing felix adjourns and has paul kept with incredible liberties for two years friends are able to visit him felix himself along with his wife began to listen to paul paul goes right to the faith in christ topic as he begins to talk to felix about this and his wife notice what Paul includes in verse 25 here verse 25 of chapter 24 now as he reasoned about righteousness self-control and the judgment to come Felix was afraid and answered go away for now that hit me the message that never changed for Paul Here he is in front of the governor and his wife. And he didn't water down the message that he was called to give. He talks about righteousness. talks about self-control, lifestyle. And then he talks about there's judgment coming. So much so that the governor becomes afraid and sends him away. I need to challenge all of us with this. And I do it to myself as well. Is that the message that we're proclaiming to people around us what does the gospel message that you and I are preaching to people sound like because it's consistent throughout the book of Acts is the gospel that we're presenting to people simply Jesus will forgive you just pray this prayer it's not the gospel that the early church was presenting it's not the gospel that you see in Romans right from the very get-go when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is a message of salvation for all those who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And then he goes into this reality. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And he starts talking about the righteousness of God. And then he goes into the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So that people can see their problem and their need for a savior right even in the midst of dangerous even situations Paul's message does not change that's good for us to see that after two years Festus replaces Felix as the governor the Jews were asking that he be brought back to Jerusalem again wanting to ambush him that was their plan Festus says, no, go. So the hearing begins for Festus. The Jews make their accusation that they cannot prove. Paul answers, I haven't done any of these things that they're accusing me of. And Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, begins to consider sending him back to Jerusalem. Paul appeals to Caesar, and it is determined that to Caesar he should go. King Agrippa then comes on the scene. I realize I'm flying through this. (laughs) You can look through these things later. King Agrippa, who was the grandson of Herod that had tried to kill Jesus. His father had killed James. This is who King Agrippa is. He'd come to greet and bring greetings to Festus. And Festus begins to talk to him about Paul and the entire situation he had inherited from Felix. And Agrippa wants to hear Paul for himself. And we're going to end with this number 3 in your handout, the message and the passage, passion, passion, not the passage. The message and passion. Agrippa begins in chapter 26 verse 1. You can speak here. Like I said, when we began this last week, Paul blames everything on God, and he has absolute every right to. My life was headed in this certain direction. The God of our fathers, the God that we talk about, He was the one who told me to do this. He was the one who transformed my life. He was the one that put me on this path. He was the one who, who sent me in a different direction. He was the one who shined the light into my life. And once again, you see here in verse 18 that... The message never changed what was Paul called to verse 17 I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I will send you Paul speaking here what was he sent to do to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me this is what Paul says he is hearing. This was going to be his ministry. This was going to be his mission. Once again, notice the message never changes. This is man's condition outside of Christ. That's what he's highlighting here. It's not just that people need help through difficult situations in their life and Jesus will make it better. That's the false gospel. The reality is, is the condition of man's heart is just this. What he highlights here. They're blind in darkness under the power of Satan, dead in their sin. But the message comes, the message of the gospel comes to open blind eyes, amen? Open blind eyes, turn them to light, to God, to receive forgiveness of sin and an eternal inheritance. That's the good news of the gospel. This was the work that Paul was called to do. At the end of uh, verse, or in verse twenty, towards the end, turn. But declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and through all throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should what help me out, church, Repent. repent. Consistent, isn't it? Over and over again, you have to turn from your sins. The message of repentance always has to be there. Do works, then, that are consistent with repentance. It'll be evident in your life if you've repented. So many believe that if I just believe that God exists, I'll be okay. But what does James tell us about that? Even, even demons believe that God exists. They tremble, but they're not going to heaven. They're going to hell. It's not just believing that God exists. It's recognizing Him as Savior and Lord and bowing your knee to King Jesus and repenting of your sin and trusting fully in everything that He has provided for you in His life, death, and resurrection. Fully in His finished work. Paul says and highlights, this is no new message. And then he actually appeals to Agrippa. It's what the prophets had foretold. It's what Moses had foretold all throughout the Old Testament. This is why Jesus began with Moses and the prophets to those that he was showing himself to that I am the fulfillment of everything that was spoken of in the Old Testament. We know that Paul was passionate about this because he is taking every opportunity, no matter where he is at, to share it. Amen? The message didn't change. Now you see the passion. Everywhere he went, This was on his mind, this was on his heart, he had to give this message. But we also know that he was passionately wanting people to repent and trust in Christ. Because after King Agrippa basically says, You almost persuade me, there's debate over was he was he asking a question here? I, I would lean on the side that he was making this statement. You almost persuade me to become a believer. To become a Christian. And you notice what Paul says in here in, in response to this? Verse 29, actually, Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both, almost, and altogether such as I am, except for, and here you see the heart of Paul once again. These chains. I don't wish these chains on anyone. Even these ones who are reviling, even these ones who are making all these false accusations, even all these ones who say, you're not fit to live, Paul. So that, man, I wish everybody had what I had who's hearing me right now. That's what Paul's saying. Not just you, King Agrippa, everybody who's hearing me. There's one thing that I would like to be different. <laughs> you see Paul's heart here? I, I wouldn't want these chains on anybody. I wouldn't wouldn't want people to go through the hardships that I've gone through. Man, this is at an incredible heart. This is incredible passion. But he wants everyone, not just some. He wants everyone. This is his heart. I highlighted Romans 9 last week where he says, I could wish even that I would be a curse if that meant my fellow men would be brought in. They came to the conclusion after all of this that he had done nothing worthy of death and even said he could have well released him, but he had already appealed to Caesar. So he had to go to Rome. Why? Because God wanted him to testify in Rome. This was a mission that he had been called to. And so his sovereign plan moves forward for the glory of God. That's it. So once again, we close with this thought here today. I encourage you to go to community groups here today. Community groups gives you, us all just an incredible opportunity to dive deeper, to ask any questions that we may have, to just be able to dig into the Word, worship together, pray together, great opportunity. Eat together. Did I forget eat together? You've got to eat together. is that good? Amen. Here's the challenging question once again. This is the same way we ended last week. Do we have a passion and love for the lost? The way Paul did, the way Jesus did, the way Stephen did. Do we really care? Do we care enough to tell them the only message that can set them free from the kingdom of darkness into His light? That's it. And if we would say no or not enough today. We could probably all align with that, amen? And I think this is something to ask God for in prayer. Right? How do you respond to that? If I, if I, if I don't have a passion the way that I should, what do you do with that? You pray. I can, I can think of no better advice for any one of us here today who would say, you know, that passion for the lost, caring for the lost state, for the glory of God is not where it should be, then we call upon Him and He will answer us and He will show us great and mighty things that we do not know right now. I think it was William Booth that says, God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Give me more eternity conscious, God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus and we ask, Lord, in a greater way, maybe even than we have here right now, Lord, that our life mission purpose would never change no matter where we're at, God. No matter where you send us, no matter where we go, that we would have the same response that we were singing about here earlier, send me. Send me. I'll I'll go anywhere. In light of the gospel, in light of the greatness of what you've accomplished in our hearts, how could we not, God, go anywhere that you would call us to go for your glory? May the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering in each one of our lives, Lord. But as we go, Lord, let there be a supernatural love in our hearts. for the people that you've called us to minister to, oh God. And that everything would, be, would just flow out of that love. And Lord, we know that's found in growing in you and recognizing how much you love us. This supernatural love flowing out of us accomplish your purposes for your honor for your glory it's in Jesus name we pray and all God's people said amen amen, amen. if you have anything I know